Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Well, I was enthusiastic. All right, we good. All right, well, good to be with you guys today. As Norton said, my name is Stephen. I'm part of the community here. And I want to start with a story today before we jump into the message. Uh, and the story is personal. It's a personal story, but it is also connected to the history of New Denver Church. Uh, many of you know uh, my family and I were, um, along with Norton's family, the Herbsts, uh, part of the three families, we had, we had another friend, uh, the Maliks, Jason, uh, Norton, and I all worked together in Atlanta. Uh, we all moved out here in 2009 to be a part of starting New Denver Church. And, um, you know, that decision was one of those big life-changing kinds of decisions. And there was a lot that went into it, and we had all talked about this idea of starting a church um, and it was our friend Jason who said, hey, we should do one thing together instead of three things separately. That was in two th early 2008. And we all came together and said, this is what we're going to do. And so we quit our jobs and put our houses in the market. We didn't know that the housing bubble was going to burst that year or that the whole economy was going to fall apart. But here we were. We just quit our jobs, ready to move across the country to start this new church. And there was so much to do. I don't know if you've ever been a part of starting something or part of a big move like that, but there was so much that we were focused on. We had to focus on selling our houses and, and raising money and, and, and getting our family and everything we owned across the country uh, to Denver. And then we had to, once we got here, we had to start thinking about how do you start a church? I mean, none of us had, none of us had ever done that before. So how do you, where do you even start? I remember sitting in coffee shops and thinking, what do we do? Like, now that we're here, what, what do we do? Um, and so there was so much to be focused on that I was just mo mostly focused on what was ahead. But there was one really, really important thing that I didn't think about, not until later. And that's this. I didn't think about what we were leaving behind. So I moved to Atlanta in 1996. I was 24 years old, right out of grad school. Took my first, like, professional job and um, so I was there, we left in 2009. So, I mean, I was there for 13, almost 14 years, a lot of time. Started my professional career there, made some really, really good friendships, you know, in my 20s and single, um, you know, it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Uh, made some great friendships, came back to faith, really, through a church there, really rediscovered my faith and made it a priority in my life. Uh, made a decision to change careers, actually decided to go into ministry and started working at that church. Um, and that church became more than just a place that I worked. It was a community. It was a place that I had really, really deep relationships and friendships. Met my wife there. We had kids there. We bought our first house there. We had deep, deep roots in Atlanta. And so when we decided to move here, I was really thinking about the task, the mission, this call that we felt like we had to come and start this new place. I didn't really think too much about what we were leaving. I just figured it would all work out. You know, I thought we, you know, I have such great friendships. Of course, we're going to stay connected and we're going to be friends forever. Of course, we're going to meet amazing new people in Denver and I'm going to have new friendships. Of course, that's the way it's going to go down. What could possibly go wrong? Well, some of you are laughing a little bit because you know it's not that easy. When you pick up and move across the country, when you make a major life transition like that, it's really difficult. And it didn't take until probably, it, it took until probably nine or 12 months in, almost a year in, before the busyness sort of start to, you know, 
fade. And we were in a rhythm and a routine. Kids were in school, but both our kids were really young at the time. Um, and I just began to realize I, I don't really have anybody call, to call to hang out. I don't really have anybody to call to hang out with or do things. And you know what? By that time, most of the phone calls, the emails, the text messages from friends back in Atlanta had kind of waned. They kind of stopped. And I remember I was in my late 30s. I was almost 40 at the time. And I remember thinking, am I somebody who now just used to have friends? Is that who I am now? Like, I'm, I'm that person. Like, I, I don't know that I'm ever going to have the, the quality and the depth of friendships that I used to have. Maybe some of you here today have had similar experiences. Maybe some of you are in that place today. Maybe, maybe you've gone through a major life transition. You've moved to Denver or you've um, moved to neighborhoods, moved across town. Sometimes displacement can, can separate us from friends even when we're just moving across town. Maybe for you, it's not that you've changed, but stuff around you has changed. Maybe your friend group has started to dissolve because people are leaving, leaving for school, leaving for a job, leaving because they have kids and they're moving back to be closer to their family. Maybe it's just the seasons of life are changing for you and for your friends and you're realizing that your friends aren't as stable as they once were. And you begin to wonder the same thing. Are you someone who just used to have friends? Maybe it's COVID. You know, I think a lot of us, I've talked to a lot of people who've recognized that since COVID, it's become more difficult to make friends, to initiate those connections and to sustain them or go deeper. Maybe, you know, a period of time where other people, new people were dangerous. Maybe it affected us more than what we were thinking about. So that is where we, I think we're, where we find ourselves. If you feel that way, it's, it's not just you. I think there's something deeper that's going on at a societal level today. If you didn't know this, last year, the Surgeon General of the United States um, issued a public health uh, declaration that basically said that we're in the middle of a public health crisis. And it's not a pandemic or it's not something biological. It's actually a crisis of loneliness and isolation that for years people have been feeling more and more disconnected from one another, even before COVID, but COVID certainly accelerated that. The report revealed that over half of Americans reported when surveyed that they regularly feel lonely. And what's interesting is that number is even higher among younger people, <clears throat> that younger people feel more disconnected, more lonely, and more isolated than ever. So if you're feeling that way today, you are not alone. In our country today, this is a crisis. This is a real problem. And I think the question that I want to at least surface today, we're not going to totally tackle this problem or, or bring it to the ground, but I want to today at least begin to surface, to crack the ice of this problem and begin to explore some possible ways forward. I want to begin to ask the question, what, what is it about this that's going on that we can do something about? And what, if anything, does our faith have to say about these problems, these challenges? And today we're going to begin in the very beginning. 
We're going to go back to the very beginning of the Bible to look at where I think the roots of both this need and this desire we have, but also the problem that stands in our way. So if you want to follow along, we're going to look at just a couple of verses of Scripture. We're going to be in the book of Genesis, and we're going to start in chapter 2. Now I'm going to recall, pull some things back. If you were here the last few weeks, uh, Norton has been doing a series on the integration of faith and science and how often Genesis is like a flashpoint for understanding about how those two things go together. And he encouraged us when we come to Genesis to not get too focused on the how or the the details, the literal details of what order things happen, but really to focus on the, the who and the why that the author of Genesis is conveying to us about God's creation. We're going to practice that today because when we come to Genesis in this very first section, what we find is a poem. We find a beautiful, epic, mythic poem that tells us about God's creative activity in the world, how the world was created, told in a very poetic way. And right from the very beginning, in the first chapter, we, found, we find this rhythm that is repeated over and over again. The author tells us over and over again that God in his creative activity is speaking the world into existing, existence, literally saying, let there be. And the author tells us, and there was. And then God looks at it and says, and it was good. So we see the very beginning, it says, The author tells us, God said, let there be light, and there was light, and it was good. Let the land produce vegetation, and it was so, and it was good. On and on and on, seven times, seven, the number of perfection, seven times we're told, God said, let there be, and it was, and it was good, until we come to the second chapter of Genesis. And then the author gives us a very intentional change in the rhythm In a retelling, in the first chapter, he tells us, the author tells us about the creation of human beings, and he comes back to that that moment again in the second chapter when God creates his ultimate crowning achievement. He creates humankind. And when he does, the author this time tells us something very different. Genesis 2.18 says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. So God creates humankind. He creates the man, Adam, Adam. He creates man and he looks down at him and suddenly he pronounces something that he has created is not good. It's not good that the man is alone. Now, if you know this section of Genesis, you know that this is where woman enters the story. And that's part of the solution that God has created us as a pair, like we need men and women, we need both of what they bring and their created uniqueness, we need that. And that's part of what the story is about. But I think there's also something fundamentally deeper going on here. I think when the author tells us that God looks at human beings and says it's not good for them to be alone, that's not just a statement about being married. There's something about the way that human beings were created by God that we were made for each other, made with the capability to connect in a unique way in relationship, in community, in friendship. And everything that modern science has told us about how that works neurobiologically confirms that, confirms what we see in Genesis. 
going back in 2016 and 2017, sociologists started noticing a disturbing trend in America in the, their studies, in the statistics that they saw. People were dying younger than they had previously. And as they began to look at the numbers, what they realized was people were, had been dying younger for some time. And when they looked at all the statistics, what they found was they had to go all the way back to the 1960s to find a similar trend, except this time was different. In the 1960s, there was a flu epidemic that had broken out that had caused the average age of death to go down for a, for a substantial period of time, and then it came back up again. But going back to this study in 2016 and 2017, what they began to find was that the causes for this new trend downward in the average life expectancy were much more grim and yet preventable. They were things like young people committing suicide, drug overdoses, alcoholism, and other preventable diseases of self-inflicted unhealth. They actually coined the term deaths of despair for this new phenomenon that was going on. Further studies actually even found that this new trend was connected to loneliness and isolation and that this was actually physically worse for you, statistically speaking, than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. You'd be better off smoking for your health than being alone, according to what science tells us. Clearly, it is not good for human beings to be alone. In fact, it seems like science is telling us that it's deadly to do so. <clears throat> so if God made us for relationships, made us for a connection, this is something we're drawn to, we all want, we all need, we all desire. What went wrong? Why is it so difficult to reconnect with people? What is it that makes it difficult for us to build relationships and friendships with one another. Well, the next chapter of Genesis, I think, gives us insight and answers. Again, not in that clinical, scientific way, but I think from, a, uh, from the perspective of meaning and understanding about what is going on in humanity, I think it gives us some insight. The next chapter tells us uh, a story that's been, become known as the fall. <clears throat> it's the disconnection between human beings and God. And what we're told is that the humans, the first humans, made a decision to go their own way, to choose for themselves what was right and what was wrong, disregarding what God had told them and choosing their own way. Now, again, you don't have to believe that this actually happened literally the way that Genesis described. You can. That's possible. I, I'm fine to take it you know, it's at face value. But what's important is not just that it happened, but that it happens. This is something that's true for all of us. We all, in our own way, choose to go our own way, to, to make decisions apart from what God says right and wrong, and we choose to decide for ourselves what we want to do. <clears throat> and this is what the Bible has called sin. This is the brokenness that is inside every one of us. And what's interesting is when you read, uh, we're not going to go through the verses. You can go back and read Genesis chapter 3, but when you read what happens when the humans choose to disobey God. What they do first is so interesting. They hide. They hide from God, which seems sort of ridiculous to try to hide from an omniscient, omnipresent being, but they choose to hide and they hide from one another because they were ashamed. They were ashamed of what they were done and that was new. 
Suddenly they had done something that was contrary to what God had told them and they felt shame and their first movement was away from God and away from others. And what we see here is I think Genesis is showing us a pattern that has repeated itself over and over through human history and it continues to repeat itself in my life and in your life all the time. We all have this gnawing sense that there's something not entirely right about us. That if we were really known, if you really knew what was going on in my head, what was going on in my heart, what I had done in my life, there's no possible way that you would accept me. There's no possible way you would want to be friends with me if you really knew me. We all have this gnawing sense that somehow we're just not quite right and we don't want to be fully seen and we don't want to be fully known by others and not by God. We hide. We keep those things to the back. We project an image of ourselves, of those who have it all together, those who have a life that's put together and we we project that for other people and it's a form of hiding. And that, I believe, is the root of all of our loneliness because we separate from one another. We don't allow those deepest parts of ourselves to be known because we're afraid we will be rejected. And I think this is what is tearing us apart one relationship at a time, is this brokenness that is in us, that is in the world, that is in all of us, that pulls us out of and away from relationship and towards loneliness, towards isolation. So what hope is there for us if that is the human condition? If the author of Genesis is right, if the Bible is correct, and this is the way that we were mismade, we were made for relationship, but in our brokenness and our sin, we we are pulled towards loneliness and isolation. Is there any hope for us? Thanks be to God, yes, there is hope. There is hope for us. This is the story of Jesus. This is the good news of Jesus, that there is hope. There is a way forward, and it begins by acknowledging that there is something that's not quite right about me, and there is something that's not quite right about you, and we're all in the same boat together. There is none who is perfect. There is none who have it all together, regardless of how perfect Housewives of Beverly Hills, like someone looks, that show is actually a pretty good example of like the brokenness of the world. Like if you watch it... (laughs) You go deeper and you're like, yeah, those people look great on the outside, but they are a mess. We are all in the same boat. And Jesus comes to us and says, even in our brokenness, even in our dysfunction, he accepts us where we are and for who we are. He died and was raised from the grave to give us a new life, to make it possible for us to live a different story. We are not deterministically tied to the sin that is in all of us. By the power of God's spirit, we can make different choices. We can live lives of deep meaning and connection to one another. But here's the thing. We have to participate in our transportation tr- transformation. We are not going to just be instantly made new, made changed. We are not going to be able to sit on the couch and just have friends. We have to participate in what God is trying to do in our lives, in our transformation. We have to move towards cultivating life-giving friendships. And that is where I want us to focus with the rest of our time that we have today. Because the way I think about this is the only thing that we can control 
is our own actions and how we move against the currents that are pulling us towards loneliness and isolation, the currents inside of us and the currents that are going on in others and in the world around us. Now, if you've ever been caught in a current before, whether that was at the beach and you were swimming and you felt yourself being pulled out by an undertow or down the beach by a current that was moving you from where you are, or maybe if you've ever been rafting in Colorado, you fall out of the, the raft, you realize really quickly the river is going to take you where it wants to take you. And if you want to get back in the boat, you have to swim as hard as you can to get there. I think is this, the same is true for us with loneliness and isolation. If we don't swim against these currents, there's no way we're going to fight against it. We are going to be pulled into loneliness and isolation. And the good news is that I think God meets us in our efforts and in our desires to swim against the currents of loneliness and isolation. So when it comes to developing friendships, there are multiple currents that work against us. Currents in us, currents in the world around us. And it's not just our tendency to hide. It's the tendency for all of us to make choices that move us in the wrong direction, to move for jobs and not for relationships. To, to focus on, on having um, our, our spaces, our, our house. We have a back porch or a backyard and we spend our time alone back there, disconnected from neighbors. Or, or maybe we mediate our relationships. We spend too much time thinking about connecting with others through, through mediated forms of technology, social media or text messaging, instead of just spending time together face to face. These are all choices that we can move against, that we can choose differently. We can all move against these currents, but we have to make choices. And the question for you and for me today that I want us to think about as we, as we close, as we wrap up, as we go out of this place today is, how are you swimming against the currents that pull you away from meaning relationship, meaningful relationships? <clears throat> I want you to think about that. And I wanna give a couple of suggestions of things for you to try as we close our time. This is, again, we're not gonna solve this problem today, but I want you to think about some things. First of all, there's a great resource that you can read, you can pick up. It's a book called Made for People by Justin Whitmull-Early. Um, it's a book we're going through um, with a D group that I'm part of right now. We're a few weeks in, and it's been really, really great, helpful, both challenging and encouraging to give some really practical next steps. If this is something that struck a chord with you and you're struggling to know a way forward, to create meaningful friendships in your life, I would highly recommend this as a book for you to pick up. He gives some great suggestions about how to swim against the currents of loneliness and isolation. Second, I would say, hey, be excited. Like you have a huge advantage. You are sitting in a church service surrounded by people right now. Like you are way ahead of like 90% of our culture because one of the problems in our culture is that social institutions have eroded. Nobody joins bowling leagues. Nobody's part of Kiwanis or you know, the Rotarians anymore. Nobody goes to church. So you're way ahead of the game. Congratulations. Congratulations for being here. But here's the thing. Coming to church on Sunday is not enough to, to, to fight against the, 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 the pull of loneliness and isolation. You can sit in this room by yourself, stand up and go home and feel lonelier than when you showed up. So you have to do more than just sit here and listen to me talk. You have to stand up after the service and talk to someone, go get coffee with someone, take an, in, an intentional step 
take a move. It's not going to guarantee that this is everything's going to work out. I'm just trying to help you focus on what are the things that you can take responsibility for? What are the things that you can do? In my experience, in the last 14 years, as I've worked to rebuild the fabric of my own relationships and friendships, intentionality is the number one thing that has been most effective. Just being intentional and purposeful. And that can be as simple as scheduling time to meet. Because there's a decent chance you're going to stand up and say, you know what, we should, we should get lunch. Yeah, we totally should. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll reach out to you. And you never do. Pull your phone out right then and say, let's schedule it right now. Let's put it on the calendar. Because it doesn't happen, for most of us, it doesn't happen in our lives if we don't schedule it. I have two friends that I've gotten to know, and we have this rhythm, this practice. We get together for a meal once a month. That's it. We, don't, we, we see each other cross paths through and talk on the phone, but we, we schedule a meal at least once a month. And the last thing we do when we're together is we say, okay, pull your phones out. When are we meeting next month? It's just part of our practice so that it, we don't, it's just too easy. The current will pull us away. We, we will just forget. We'll miss a month and then it'll be two months. I cannot tell you how much this has helped me make connections with people locally. It's also helped, helped repair connections. I have monthly phone calls with people who live across the country because we just said, let's put it third Thursday of the month at four o'clock, we're going to talk. And we do an hour conversation and that has sustained our relationship. And I'm so grateful for these friends that, that God has given me but they have been built on the simplest, smallest, little acts of intentionality. So my encouragement to you would be to figure out what's your step? What's the step that you need to take? What's the thing you need to do to swim against the current? And I pray for you that God would meet you in that struggle and bring you people to connect with that can be meaningful friends for you. Let's pray as we close that God would meet all of us in that journey and in that struggle. God, we begin by just saying thank you, thank you, thank you that you made us for relationship with one another. It is such a gift um, to be able to have meaningful friendships. And we acknowledge, Lord, that you also made us in such a way that um, relationship with you is not enough, that we can be lonely even with you. So give us, God, the courage and the intentionality to take steps, to move towards other people, to open up ourselves, our lives, our schedules, our calendars to make time for other people. And God, give us um, the persistence to stick with it because it's difficult. Again, we're all pulled in many different directions and it may not happen. Um, We may have to continue trying and continue pushing. Give us the perseverance to continue, Lord, in that journey. And Lord, would you meet us in that process? Help us to be courageous, to be honest about who we are, to be, to be vulnerable with other people, to help deepen the relationships that we have and meet us in that, God, in the process. Continue to make us the people that you want us to be. And we pray these things through the Son and by the Spirit. Amen.